Welcome to season nine of Interdisciplinary, which I am now calling the Corey Takeover, where we are discussing information and research in an effort to lure you into our next online symposium, which will be this February. It's called Within Reach, the quest for information and research, and you can find all of the details in the show notes for this episode. Season nine is sponsored by the delightful people at ABMP. ABMP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals, is proud to sponsor the interdisciplinary podcast from HealWell. Massage therapists and body workers who join ABMP get meaningful resources that make a difference in your career, including free online CE courses, online scheduling included with the ABMP Pocket Suite app, and comprehensive liability insurance that provides protection and peace of mind. Can't get enough podcast inspiration and information? Listen for the ABMP podcast with regular guest hosts Ruth Werner and Allison Denny. Discover why members expect more and get more at abmp.com. And now the moment you've been waiting for, we have a pun by who I'm calling my sidekick now, Cal Cates. That's appropriate. It's about time I got like a legit title. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm pretty diligent about my health care and I, I just went for my annual physical and my doctor said, you know, I think it might be time to consider a hysterectomy. And I was like, I don't know if I can afford that. And so I've decided to start a GoFundus campaign. <laughs> And there's the <laughs> thank you. Which will thank perhaps you. also be in the show notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> today we have um, a special guest, Dr. Nikki Monk from Indiana University. She is an all-around big deal in the world of massage research, and she will be a keynote speaker at our symposium on the topic of the state of massage research. Dr. Monk, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Corey. It's really great to see you and Cal. Hello. 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 I, I find it particularly enjoyable that now that Corey and Nikki are are engaging in official, like collegial academia relationships, Corey now calls Nikki Dr. Monk. Um, so I might do that just for the heck of it. <laughs> <laughs> there are rules, Cal. Rules. So Dr. Monk, you were a massage therapist before you were a researcher. I was. Why, why ever would you become a researcher? You know what? I fell into research um, not realizing that's what I was doing. Um, I, I fell into massage therapy with, without um, knowing what I was going to do. I started massage therapy because I was going to go travel with my parents across the United States on bicycle tours because I figured people who were cycling 100 miles a day needed a massage. <laughs> So that's that's actually what led me to uh, massage school after my great acting career uh, did not pan out because that was my undergraduate training was in theater and English, which I highly uh, uh, recommend for folks that has served me really well, but it certainly didn't offer a sustainable career. Um, but when I was I was uh, doing my massage clinical work. I uh, found that my practice was mainly with older adults. I was also very engaged in the school that I had gone to. I became their um, um, administrative director for several years and ran their clinic and um, then ultimately became their program director as well. And so got more engaged in educational pieces. And because my 
role in my, my clinical work was going more towards older adults, I was starting to incorporate those pieces into the curriculum also um, at the massage school that I was at. But I realized that there were pieces not only for the curriculum that I thought would be really good for you know, massage therapists, but then also for myself, I didn't know exactly what was happening with the work that I was doing, how it impacted not only the aging process, but the things that I needed to consider for these folks who were going through um, advanced age and experiencing the diseases that go along with that and the functional decline, I wanted to know more about what I was doing with my, with the hands-on work. Um, and so I, I decided to actually go and get further training. I just wanted to go get a master's in like old people. I thought surely there was going to be one of those. And um, I was in Lexington, Kentucky at the time, and that has their flagship university, the University of Kentucky, UK, not to be confused with the country. Um, but so I went to UK. They did not have a master's degree, but they did have one of the only doctoral training programs in gerontology. And I thought, okay, I can do that, not having any idea what a PhD was, not really having any idea of even what research was. And I, um, while it may not be self-evident from my theater and English background, I test incredibly well. And so when I took the GRE after being out of college um, for several years and just sort of getting my master's in life, that's what I tell people I have my master's in is life and life experience. Um, I did really, really well on the GRE to the extent that they really couldn't, they couldn't look at my scores and go, no, we're not going to accept you because you don't fit in academia because I didn't, I didn't have a, a discipline that naturally went into gerontology. Um, so they took me and let me know kind of kind of quickly, not in an ugly way, but that they weren't quite sure about me. Um, and I learned, I learned a lot. I went, I, one of the things that I also learned as I was understanding more what research was and learning how to read research and learning how to start designing it and understanding how to do assessment and evaluation um, on it, I realized that the work that I had been taught to revere wasn't necessarily as strong as uh, I was led to believe or I thought that it was. And, and, it, and, it, and that's not you know to, to, to say that in, a, in an ugly way or anything like that. The methodologies are you know they're always always developing. But when I would go and start having conversations with uh, medical researchers, and bench researchers, and I would talk about my area of expertise, and oh, here's the, you know, here's the literature, what have you, I would, I got what I felt to be like an energetic pat on the head, and oh, aren't you cute, and I, I actually did have one physician researcher turn on their heel and walk away from me without even a word, not even the energetic pat on the head, I mean, it was just, and it was, it was that pronounced, and as I was, you know, having these experiences, and reading the literature and, and one of my main pieces was, you know, I wanted to really get an understanding for myself, thinking that I would go back and um, incorporate that into my, my clinical practice, which, you know, I was still seeing clients at the time, um, that I would develop continuing education pieces. But ultimately what I wanted was to be able to have a sustainable career bringing massage to people who I knew really uh, uh, benefited from it, the older adult population. And what I realized as I was learning more about research and learning more about policies and systems and all of these pieces, I realized that the evidence base needed to be improved more, um, more evidence needed to be out there in order for accessibility 
accessibility to massage for older adults would improve because the way that accessibility is going to be improved is that if it is made available through health provision, the way that health is provided in this country right now. And that is primarily through Medicare and Medicaid for older adults. And so figuring out how those pieces could start um, reimbursing for, for that. And I realized that going all the way, all the way back to me, what can me as a single individual do? Well, I can help improve the research in the field to help um, elevate that, elevate that awareness so that payers can start building that. There's all manner of other simultaneous things that have to happen to go along with that. But when you come back to that, the main question that you're asking me right now, which is why in the world would I become a researcher? Because honestly, even when I was going through the program, I had my mentors coming to me and saying, okay, what sort of faculty position are you going to do? Where are you going to apply? And I'm like, I'm not doing that. Are you crazy cakes? I was, you know, I had no intention of going into academia. Well, until I did, um, but you know, never was the intention. But what I realized ultimately was that I personally was not going to be able to touch the amount of people that 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 needed it ever, but that I might be able to help facilitate those folks to receive that touch and to receive that that massage, if if I could do something that I was skilled at, which is improving the evidence base and doing that research that has shifted also into helping to train the next generation and the infrastructure of other massage clinicians to do this sort of research. But we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. So that's that's why dumb luck, I say with a question mark, <laughs> but truly just sort of um, going about my way and as 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 ways often have have with us just sort of bump going bump bump yeah, bump exactly that would that's my soundtrack cal bump, see bump, bump. yeah <laughs> that's awesome it's really too bad that this isn't a, a visual piece it is because that was are superb that was an amazing situation just there yes yeah we might we might have to get you on the patreon so you can use all those acting skills that are that's right hanging out patreon content is often video content so it you know. sure is oh yes. yes i can dust off my tap shoes and just yeah. <laughs> yes this is getting better by the moment yeah um i think it's very funny that we have three people on this podcast and we have two acting degrees and two english degrees as oh well. I, also i i started as a theater major so we have three wow yeah. yep Totally. I'm sorry. Well, there you that, go. That doesn't surprise me. Some of my most favorite people, including those on this podcast, have acting degrees or acting experience. ABK, Ambler Kennedy, also a theater undergrad. Ruth, Ruth Warner, Warner. theater undergrad. And yep. I know there's more. Oh, definitely. There's We're all over the place. Exceptionally well. Yes. We're talking to Whitney No Lowe next week and he's music. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there, there's your answer, everybody. If you're looking for your next career, clearly there's a trend. Yes. Well, and and I, I guess I will say that I feel like there's, it, it's, I think it's probably beneficial to have more people in the sciences who also have that arts perspective and who can kind of, you know, think in those different ways. Absolutely. There's a really wonderful program that actually Alan Alda, he's the fellow from So Mass. great. Yes. Yes. So he has he has put together a whole and it's here at IU that he started it 
he's put together a whole improv training for researchers so that researchers know how to talk to people yep. <laughs> and convey I, and convey their research. I mean, truly. I just finished reading his book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's called If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face? And um, <laughs> it's it's great. It, it really does. It just talks about how just taking these people who are really excited about what they've researched, but when they get in front of a bunch of lay people, just lose the crowd in seconds because they don't know how to connect. And that by taking them through a variety of improv exercises, when they get back up to the podium, you know, a month, a week, whatever, after they've been doing this program, they are better able to understand what they have to do to connect with the people they're sharing their information with. It's really incredible. Yes, that is actually a, uh, a gig that I was approached with when I first came to IU. That they oh, wow. It's like, you know what, I'm on the tenure track. I don't, I can't take on another thing right now, but I don't know. I should look back into that if they're still doing that because that you have to have a you have to have a theater degree in order to do those training. And guess what? I could finally put it That's right. The, finally, they won't be giving you the side eye when you sign up for something. <laughs> That's right. Bingo. <laughs> yep. So there's a very roundabout plus side discussion of why why would I do that? <laughs> well, and so Corey, I know you have some very specific questions. I always have questions, but I, I want to, you know, since I'm the sidekick on this gig, I'm going <laughs> to just hang out over here. Um, I, I really only have one really big next question, which is um, you have been working so hard to improve this knowledge base. Um, I guess I have two questions. The first question is, uh, how's that going? <laughs> there's an a whole there's a whole assessment process that can be done to determine the extent to which my impact has been made <laughs> that we don't have nearly the time to get into today no so for reals okay going seriously you know it takes time to develop an individual's research program and in order and in, in addition to taking time to develop that research program it also takes all manner of, of, of resources and support from having a position that allows you to do that kind of work to funding to be able to conduct the research that you need any sort of supplies um and one of the things that i have found because you know one of the other questions that we could talk about is sort of that the those those barriers that exist around research in any sort of applied position so it's not just unique to massage therapy um, you know, in medicine or in physical therapy or occupation, any, anything that it has a, a, a human clinician and a patient population, there's some really unique inherent aspects around that. But one of the things that massage therapy has and some other integrative health approaches has, in addition to those inherent challenges, is the fact that our field does not reside within the space that normally has research occurring in it. And primarily that's in academia. Um, so there are some practice research perspectives or, 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 or designs or methodologies or what have you, but you have to have the, you know, the people who are conducting those have to have the training in order to do that. And even within that, even in those practices, those practices also have to have infrastructure and supportive pieces that most massage and other integrated practices just don't have. And so that linking piece can become really, really challenging. Um, so 
you know, in my big starry eyes, when I first started in my, uh, well, in fact, I should back up. So when I started in my uh, faculty position in 2013, I had finished my doctorate in 2011 at, at UK and I had done my dissertation study. It was a, it was a very shoestring diet, or shoestring diet, shoestring uh, funding and a shoestring uh, um, study that I did. I also had two children while I was going through um, my qualifying exams. I was pregnant with the first and I defended my dissertation, getting ready to give birth. She came too fast and I actually walked three days after giving birth to Scarlett, my second child, instead of uh, being really big and pregnant. But anyway. That all seems very on brand for you and Scarlett. <laughs> being early because no <laughs> Going fast, going fast. Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I had between my getting my doctorate and doing my dissertation and starting my faculty position, I had a two year hiatus, um, that wasn't a hiatus for reals. I mean, I had, I had Scarlet, um, but then I was brought in, in an informal postdoc. So it wasn't an official postdoc, which includes additional training and research, um, traditionally, but I was brought in on a study that was already begun. It was a really large massage therapy study that I had actually, um, I had actually consulted on while I was a doctoral student. And so UK had a really big grant, like a, I don't want to say it, it was like a $10 million grant way back in the day when I was still at the massage school, the Lexington Healing Arts Academy. And they were given money to incorporate integrative health training integrative so at the time it was complementary alternative medicine training into their medical undergraduate medical program so for their med students in the first several years before they went on rotation and so my in my uh, capacity as administrator at the school we helped put together aspects for the massage portion of that and one of our instructors went and did a teaching gig and did these did these pieces and so i had a little bit of familiarity with the um, pi on the study that I ultimately consulted on, I saw him, um, he and I were at a, at, a, at a meeting that NIH was giving there at UK and they were talking about complement uh, alternative at the time practices and they were going through a whole bunch of research and Bill Elder, who was the uh, PI of the study I worked on, it was the Kaipro study, by the way, um, he asked a question that the NIH guy couldn't answer. Well, I was absolutely immersed in the literature because I was doing all of my my lit reviews and I was getting my systematic review together for my, you know, my second, I was at the end of my second year, I think. And um, I went up to uh, Dr. Uh, Elder afterwards and I said, you know what, I have the answer to that question. And that started a really great relationship. And so because he was like, oh, you must be uber smart to have all of this right at the tip of your because he was even, you know, saying, well, what about this article? What about this article? And I had it all in my head because that's what I was doing right then, right? Um, so he and I, he actually was on my uh, dissertation committee as well, but they were putting together the next steps from that 10, that $10 million grant, which was all of integrative health medicine. Now they wanted to do work that was specifically looking at massage therapy and community-based massage therapy and looking at chronic low back pain. And so I helped them design that study. But as, as you all know, that, that many people don't know, it takes forever to get research funded and off the ground. 
And so in my naivete at the time, you know, here I am starting, starting my third year or like the end of my second year, my third year, I'm consulting on this grant It's going to be so great. It's going to hit. And then I'm going to do my dissertation work on it. It's going to be uber cool yet. Yeah, no, they didn't even get funded until I was well into my dissertation. I'd already had one kid getting ready to have the second, right. When they finally hit the, the, the funding hit. So by the time I had Scarlett, they had already begun this study that was looking at chronic low back pain um, and using community-based massage therapists. And so I, uh, Bill Elder called me after I had graduated and Scarlett was, was good and able to be in daycare at the time and said, you know, I know that we've already started this program, but our project manager has had to leave and you know this program in, in and out because you helped consult on it. Would you come and take this over? And so I did, I came back and we were, a, they were about a year into it, but they were way behind on their recruitment. And so I was able to come in and I already had lots of connection with the community massage therapist. So I was able to build up that component, which was something that was really lacking for them, plus all these other pieces. But I say all of this because I came into a situation in this position doing massage research where all of these other barriers that I faced when I started my faculty position were gone because it was a study that was already, the infrastructure was already there. The funding mechanism was already there. The history and track record of this research group that I was able to become a part of was already established and very well regarded within this big funding agency. And because the research was being done and conducted through um, family medicine, it also had access to the patient population and the study population that was going to uh, be the part of the research. And then also the physician networking that was needed. And they were doing that through something called a practice-based research network, a PBRN. And that was specifically to the family medicine clinicians. And then what I was able to do as a, a, a massage therapist was I was able to come in and help grow their massage practice network because what we were doing was they were, the study was assigning these patients who were referred by their physicians to receive this free massage for their chronic low back pain to community massage therapists who either, either lived or, uh, excuse me, who practiced either where the patients lived or near where they worked. So it was within an easy commuting piece that they would be able to do that because it was like as massage would be done in practice. And so I was able to provide a link that they were having trouble with, but all these other inherent barriers that, that most folks face were much reduced because of all these other infrastructure pieces. So me and my cheery goggles, we came in, we did this work, we finished the study, we had some great results from it. There's several publications that have come out in that. So if you Google my last name, M-U-N-K, and Kypros, which is K-Y-P-R-O-S. Um, there's three uh, papers that'll come up from that. And then there are several other um, abstracts that we did some secondary data analysis and things that were, that were published. So you can see the outcomes of that. But when that study finished up, I actually um, did another position with UK for a little while where I was their director of their research there in family medicine, which was a pretty significant um, role. But at the same time, I had decided to go ahead and throw my hat in the ring for an academic position. Now, one of the other challenges that, that occur with that is 
research is done primarily in academia, particularly with um, clinical pieces like ours with, with massage therapy. Um, but the academic institutions or positions don't necessarily live everywhere. And so oftentimes people have to be mobile to be able to accept the position and go where those pieces are. And at the time that wasn't that wasn't my case. My, you know, I was married, my husband was the primary breadwinner in, in the family. And, you know, massage can go anywhere. I could do that anywhere. Um, and so long as I was working in uh, with the with the research that was being done, and you know, in this academic setting as a research director, not focused on massage, mind you, but just their general research director, I was you know, I was using my my newly earned PhD credentials and it was fine. Um, but we weren't going to jeopardize our family security at the time by me starting off on this tenure track role, which has its old, you know, new steps and processes. But my husband came home one day and said, you know what, if you were ever going to throw your hat in the ring, this is the time when businesses were starting to uh, do big layoffs in about 2012. There were lots of large corporations that were doing that and his was one of them. He said, you know, if you were ever going to do it, go for it. And so I started the very long and arduous process of academic um, position finding. So those those cycles, those uh, search cycles, last anywhere from four months to over a year. As as those that's naturally how the cycles progress. So like right now, I'm already searching for faculty member. We're well into the search for faculty members that aren't going to start until August one next year. So that's how like long these these tracks go. So I put in my materials. I gosh, eleven to fifteen institutions. Then had a series of calling interviews, and I went and visited a lot of different campuses. And I ultimately got um, a really nice connection with this position, the, the position that I'm in now, and I've elevated up to associate professor, which is the next level when I'm tenured and what have you. Um, but the fit for me wasn't my massage expertise. The fit for me was what I went and got my doctoral training in, which was gerontology. Um, they had a gerontology certificate that they needed somebody who specialized in that to run, but then I also needed to make sure that my research area of expertise aligned with wherever it was that I was going. And health and rehabilitative sciences, well, that's just a natural fit, right? So I came in on this tenure line track that was research is gonna be my focus. So coming in, there's all manner of startup pieces that have to happen, right? I've got to learn the systems that I'm going to be working in. I've got to learn the different classes that I'm going to be teaching. I was assigned undergraduate class load. I was also assigned graduate level uh, class load. So we have a doctoral program in health and rehabilitative sciences where we're teaching those in rehabilitative science professions how to do that, the PhD level research type aspect. So um, I came in and taught in that program. But as I was trying to work on developing my, my research line, now I was coming out of this, you know, postdoc type situation where all of this infrastructure was there and the infrastructure of connection. Now, Indiana University in the Indianapolis campus has huge resource capability. This is, we have the largest school of medicine in the country right in my backyard. I have a lot of collaborators that work with that, but that's medicine. The clinic is all medicine focused. They don't have integrative health and integrative medicine pieces. So 
that access to population now, my school is separate from the School of Medicine. I'd lost that connection to, to patients. I'd also lost my networking and connection to massage community because now I'm changing states. There's, there isn't reciprocity from a licensing standpoint. So I know I don't have an Indiana license. I keep my, my Kentucky license um, up, to, up to speed so I can continue doing the research that, I, that I'm doing and just to stay engaged in, 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 in the community. But now I've lost that connection and had to rebuild that over again. And, you know, formulating those other relationships with, I've, I've made connections with the VA and that's where my research is happening quite a bit now, but finding my way to look at some of these really large research programs and research studies and how can I emulate that? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that I am not a physician researcher, which most of the folks that you see with these really large um, research programs in massage, they are. So you've got Rappaport, who's who's um, got a really great um, uh, research program, physician, right? You've got um, Adam Perlman, great research programming with his osteoarthritis, knee osteoarthritis, and all of those pieces. Again, physician with those network pieces. And when he went to Duke, he also had that integrated, that whole integrative health um, clinic and center, right? You've got the Cherkin and Sherman group that are up in uh, Washington uh, area, which is, that's a whole nother beast because their whole healthcare system is different. And the way the massage is incorporated into, into healthcare, because you've got one Cherkin as an MD. Um, I don't believe Sherman, I think Dr. Sherman is a PhD, um, but she's still within the, the clinical setting of um, medicine. That's where her appointment is. And then you have the um, fabulous uh, Cynthia Price, who is PhD, not medical doctor, but she's in the School of Medicine and her PhD is in nursing sciences, right? So this is where she's living in, in, in her research program and research development. So, you know, here I am, <laughs> a non-PhD doing, or excuse me, a non-MD, PhD, doing clinical research in a clinical practice that isn't incorporated in any way in the environment that I'm in. <laughs> so when you ask me about how's that going, <laughs> how, is, how is my research program development going? Um, it's actually going really well in that I've made a lot of inroads and a lot of connections, but I've also had to shift what success looks like for me. And I've realized I will continue. I'm writing, I'm writing grants all the time. I'm putting pieces in and, and, and a lot of the work that I'm doing is, is, is funded in various ways, but I may not be the Dan Churkin or the Adam Perlman or even you know, a Cynthia Price type researcher um, with those really large mega dollar um, um, studies. Although Tomcat's gonna be really, really big when it comes out. Uh, we're, the methods paper is already out. You can, again, uh, Google Scholar, my last name, N-U-N-K, and Tomcat with two T's at the end. And the methods paper will come up. We've got the results paper here coming out. Um, but I realized that the, the more important work, I think, for me will be the infrastructure that I am working very hard to build for research capacity um, within our field 
with that research being done through the lens of how massage therapy is practiced and through the lens of massage clinicians, right? So, so how with massage clinicians being engaged and involved. Um, and that's through the training opportunities that I have with folks who want to take that next step and want to do that, that, that deeper dive to perhaps become a researcher. And my hope is that through the programming that I'm doing here, we'll be launching the next and, and biggest and brightest um, massage researchers down the line. So that was a whole big, long story getting to barriers, challenges. <laughs> you know, the, the, the types of work that I do aren't just in clinical trial pieces. I've also done reporting pieces, making sure and, and trying to help our field convey what our field is and the benefit of, of the work that is done, either through case reports or well-devised commentaries. Um, calls to action, different pieces that um, things that are happening within our community that need to perhaps be talked about or things that policy could do some addressing on, um, those sorts of work. So I've got the care adapted uh, case report guidelines or the TMD, TMB, uh, therapeutic massage and body work, adapted care guidelines. Those are for case reporting um, modeled after the medical case reports and how those are how those are done. And then uh, we've already established a way, a baseline of case reports before those guidelines came out. We'll be able to do an assessment later um, to see if those guidelines helped. Um, I'm hoping that they, they did. <laughs> we'll see. Um, all the way to looking at how different massage programs can be implemented in health service situations. So, you know, even the work that Cal, you and I were doing with um, the MedStar group, where the work that Healwell going in and working with these really frail and delicate um, uh, folks in palliative care, not only the outcomes, but then also looking at how these professionally trained prof professionals, massage professionals can integrate into this sort of setting and the, the impact of that. So, you know, those are all important pieces. Um, that I get to include in the body of my work. So there's my answer. <laughs> uh, what was the question? No, I'm just kidding. Um, how is that I, going? That was the question. How's that going? It was how's a very broad going? question and appropriately broad answer. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I'm really curious because, you know, part of, uh, there are a couple things like one, um, I feel like our profession, uh, is not doing an amazing job in the serious illness space as far as like advocating for roles for massage therapists and, and conducting, you know, meaningful research. Uh, so we're trying to do that. And I know you're trying to do that. Um, but I feel like one of the, and I feel like one of the things that we are struggling with, and I think this gets to some of what we're going to be um, discussing at the symposium is that there is sort of an inherent I don't know if you want to, uh, yeah, a bias when you have, I think we're missing something when we don't have massage therapists directly involved in creating research about massage, but we're also, you know, there's a, a doctor that I follow who does a lot of trans rights activism uh, for, for younger people. And he just published a huge study that basically 
says, like, everybody just settle down. Like, we are not harming kids by supporting them in their trans medical treatment, et cetera. And he's getting dinged all over the place because he is a, a hardcore advocate for trans rights and trans health care. And some people have been kind of picking apart his research and saying, you know, he sort of designed these studies to show that what he's doing is not harmful. And, um, you know, I know that sometimes when we're writing the discussion piece of papers that we're submitting, it's really hard to talk about we want we want to show a thing you know and and i think for us what we really want to show is that we're not talking about rubbing we're talking about a provider bringing the perspective and value of a currently absent discipline that what you need hospital administrator dialysis center person you need a properly trained massage therapist to bring the information from this discipline and that this is not something that you're not going to see the same results with volunteers or with minimally trained people. And, but a, it seems a little bit like a waste of money and, or there isn't money to do like an RCT where we have volunteers versus palliative trained therapists. And so how do we, I feel like we're always kind of running in front of our own cart in terms of like, we get people excited about you need massage and then hospitals and people who, you know, are like, okay, our patients need this are cold calling massage therapists who don't have the kind of training that can bring this value add. And I think that's a struggle, especially considering, like you said, research takes so long. I mean, we started the MedStar study like three years ago, um, and it's hopefully going to get published maybe sometime next year. Um, and, you know, Tomcat, I feel like you've been doing that thing like since we were 12. Um, and, you know, like, yes. so <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, so I, I think there's a whole bunch of questions or just even thoughts that could come from that. But what, what, tell me things. Okay, let me, so lots of topics that yes. you just hit on in there. So I'm going to start with one of the first ones that, uh, that came up in, in your, in your, in your question with my <laughs> air quotes in there. It's appropriate. Yes. Um, and that was about research advocacy and bias because this is actually something that we just had a really long conversation about in my um first year doctoral students come in and this is all all manner of different types of students uh in in uh, professions and career uh, helping professions um and applied disciplines and looking at the different types of research and the motivations to do research and ultimately a lot of folks go into research because there's some sort of motivating factor that is advocacy based, whether it is my child, my mother, my brother, my dad had X or experienced this. Right. I want to go and I want to find a cure. I want to do these pieces. I want to what have you. Right. Even to the point of I have to have positive research. And when I say positive, it's the, it's the types of things that show findings that are going to get published and all this in order for me to advance in my career to get what I need, regardless of what the topic is, right? So there's all these other motivating pieces. And so while advocacy concerns do exist, and rightly so, because it could, you know, have other impacts and you got to know these pieces, Disclosure is incredibly important around that and being able to demonstrate a, a 
critical self-reflection and look on that. And again, you know, I, I'm not I'm not familiar with the work of the gentleman that you were talking about, but the fact that he's already saying, "Okay, guys, just calm down." I imagine that as he's as he's presenting his case, he's providing evidence towards things. You know, if this is a concern, here's the evidence around that. It's it's those of us who do have a bit of advocacy <laughs> from from our standpoint. Um, are sometimes inclined to almost oversight and Definitely. over reference. Yes. And here's all the evidential pieces because of the continuous constant dings that we get of, well, you're only saying this because. Right. And, you know, whether that's, and my gosh, this can also be said for any sort of felt minority mm -hmm. where it has to be done 20 times better to be even seen yes or, or yes foot in the door it has to be up to that elevation you know i find myself doing that when i when i give critique around massage research sometimes i have a really hard critique and it's not because i'm not advocating for it or i don't think that maybe there is benefit even in the research that's being talked about but we have to be able to be very clear about the limitations of the design the yeah. limitations of the question, the limitation of what the measures even are, and the limitations of the inherent messiness of the intervention that we provide by messy people. Mm -hmm. And we're providing those interventions on messy people <laughs> with, yes. with lots of conditions and lots of variables and different sorts of situations. So it's, it is a thing bias is concern for bias is definitely a thing and so is the piece around our field our work is not <laughs> is not best researched by what is considered the gold standard model which is a randomized control trial that was developed for pharmaceuticals Mm -hmm. that you can control every ounce of right That's not what we do there's been some really nice work in the past 20 years i would say um and that's how long research takes right and we're still working on it on methodology that is better suited for our type of work so going back all the way into the late 1990s conversations within rehabilitation which is a really great place for massage to fit into because of the conversations they were having around these things but talking about the challenges faced with trying to identify what we're measuring are we measuring what we think we're measuring and how accurate is our measurements around this and then what is the intervention how do we articulate that intervention and then how do we articulate and assess what we think we're making an impact on and this is where the ICF model was coming up and the whole change in how disability and illness and injury and all of those pieces are looking at and evolving over the past well, really since the 50s, well, even before that, but it is, it's forever, it's been evolving, right? But we're seeing some really great strides in how things are considered from a pragmatic standpoint, so a real world standpoint and methodology that allows us to do that. But you still have, folks within research, within academia, within funding mechanisms, that while they say these are the things that we 
value and that we want to fund and re- and, and and support the actions don't necessarily show that those are the valued things or that those are the things that are done. You know, we, there's, we're constantly going through situations where we, I think that we've put in all the work that needs to happen in this grant. It's covering all the bases. They say in the call, they want a pragmatic design. We put a pragmatic design in there and then we get ding from reviewers saying, well, there's not randomized control. It's like, it's a pragmatic study. That's what the call says. And it's, it's, there's still those areas that haven't changed <laughs> or aren't progressing. They're not progressing at the same speed. So from a bias standpoint and advocacy research, there's important pieces there. So that was one thing that you were talking about. And I know I already went into some of these the other things that you were talking about too, but another thing that you mentioned in that, in that question is this, the training component. And the properly trained, and this is going, now this is starting to include other aspects, not just research, right? And the thing about any sort of field is there's there's multiple components. And anybody who's seen me speak or at, at a conference or anything, they will have seen one of my favorite slides that have like a Venn diagram. And I've got these circles that have, you've got a research circle, you've got a practice circle, you've got an education circle. And then you've got this other really large circle that's like a contextual circle that is services and policy and systems and all of these other things. Because ultimately, you're going to have the three main circles of train, uh, education, practice, and research. Those are all going to be a nice, beautiful Venn diagram, right? So there's lots of overlapping and they're all informing each other and they're all talking to each other. And then you've got that larger context and regulation and policy circle that encapsulates all of those things. But the reality in many applied disciplines, and particularly for those that don't have recognized systematic regulation and policies and procedures, you have those three major bubbles of clinical practice, education, and research that are surrounded by their own separate bubble of policy and regulation and rules and context pieces. And they're not, and those, not only are those policy pieces talking to each other, but then those main circles of practice, education, and research aren't talking to each other either. And so when you talk about properly trained folks, one of the inherent problems with that is there's no defined properly trained. There's no, there's no baseline or set operationalization of that piece. And, and that's a problem. And so there, and then there's also this piece around perhaps it not being recognized that where people are within a training and expertise, given the context. And so this is one of the things that when, when we were, were originally talking, I think it was in a prior season that you guys were talking about code switching, um, perhaps. And, and, and when we were, uh, Corey and I were talking about becoming, it was around the, the challenge that sometimes happens of the code switch of when I'm talking about massage research to researchers, and then I'm talking about massage research to massage clinicians, because the term research and what that is and what it looks like and, and how that works are different for these two different groups. And so being able to go through those different, go between these different languages is really important. And so 
what can sometimes happen is that there will be those in our field who, whether due to the training that they've had or the experience or what have you, may feel entitled to a, uh, a known experience or a, that's not quite the right word, but a, a status within the field in a different context that might not be appropriate. So it may be that somebody has had a lot of experience with, with folks, but it hasn't been within the system of healthcare delivery and the values and norms within that area. And that can become really challenging, particularly if there are a set of criteria of jobs and assumptions and needs that this other area is doing. And I think that there has been some communication challenges with that. And it may be, I, I know there's so much that that could even be talked about and talked with in that regard. But that was another one of the pieces that I was hearing from you is, you know, how do we have this conversation around properly trained? Well, part of the challenges of that is being able to establish what that properly trained is and be able to also point to assessments that demonstrate that there's a need and a difference. And then from just a practicality standpoint, that there's a, a role for that within the workforce and in the work environment. You know, and I've learned a lot being in this academic position that I'm the largest, and, and by the way, I've, I know we talked about me being an assistant professor, now associate professor, but I've also um, recently assumed the chair position of the health sciences uh, department within our, within our school. And what that has, it's, it's opened my eyes to a whole lot of other systems and levels within education and, and requirements that are needed. So, you know, I have to, we have an undergraduate program of health sciences that I have to be able to demonstrate that the people who are coming and getting trained in this four-year degree are going and getting jobs, right? I've got to be able to demonstrate that. I've got to be able to demonstrate the need. And that's all got to tie back to my curriculum. And my curriculum is supporting these needed aspects for them to go into community and have a profession. And I have to report that all the way up to state and even national levels because of the kinds of funding that our students get and our department gets and all of these things. But all of these different assessment pieces are, are in that larger context of education, practice, and research within this health systems field. But we don't necessarily have that in our field, which is somewhat challenging. But part of that too is that there's not a whole lot of different roles that people, you know, any kind of service type or um, uh, service entry ways, it's, it's looked at a little differently, right? But in, in a health setting and other career paths, it's looked at, you know, more traditionally in the way that I was just described. So those are also some challenges. Um, how does research fix that? Well, it's a different type of research for sure. Um, but other things, you know, within my realm of, of academic, I wear a lot of different hats, right? And I know that as I'm putting these long-term projects together, I'm also working on the sides with, with hospital systems and other health systems and community systems that are already established, trying to figure out ways that I can build, you know, it, if our field isn't necessarily providing these opportunities that maybe I help them be created in other ways and that maybe the field will catch up with. 
So whether that's you know creating places where student interns with the student health health driven students would be able to go and provide massage because they're already trained in massage to those in safety net hospitals, right? So that there are so that they have a career path to go into that. And how is that going to be funded? Well, either through um, philanthropic type pieces or other sorts of grants, or ideally it's going to be reimbursed because people are going to be salaried to do multiple things, not just massage, because now people who are coming from a program such as mine will have the massage training. By the way, I should say, we don't have a massage training in our, in our program. I don't have an undergraduate massage study piece, but if they have this health, uh, health sciences degree, they could go and work in a clinical setting in a healthcare environment because they understand all these other contextual pieces. So they can do other aspects. And as you say, Cal, not just the rub, right? They're able to go and become a part of the medical team potentially in a way that, you know, your, your group is so unique in the way that it has been established. And, and you're, you're sort of doing this in a different way, right? You're creating and executing a model that could absolutely be incorporated um, elsewhere. And it takes, it takes time, vision, energy, dedication, all manner of things. Yeah, there we're sort of, of conversations with that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's the, I mean, we're building the bridge as we're walking across it. Yeah. You know, and so it's a little, um, feels a little dicey sometimes, but. Well, and, you know, I think a really important piece around building the bridges and crossing it is it takes being able to look at the environment and recognizing what needs to be done in that environment. I can't say if I'm building a bridge and I've got this, I've got this body of land and that body of land, and there's this body of water or lava or whatever it is that we've got to get over, right? I can't change the topography of this land over here. I can't change the topography over here. All I can do is come to the solution. And I feel like there's perhaps a lot of hollering and arguing at the different topographies and not focused on the solution and just working within the parameters that we have and the other resources will come. I, I don't know what else to say around that. Although I did just use a lot of metaphor and that isn't typical of me. Well, and I want to clarify, it's lava. Is it lava? Okay. It's lava. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes it could, I mean, sometimes it could just be shark infested waters. Well, certainly. Yes. Piranhas. Oh, who knows? Megalodons. Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this conversation went it did very oceanic very quickly um i want to point out for some of the listeners um if you are still with us this far into this episode um try to think about what you've heard and think about it, how many jobs and duties and tasks that dr monk has just related that need to happen in order for us to do the thing that everybody seems to ask about, which is why isn't massage covered by insurance, right? It's a very basic question that I think every massage student from day one asks themselves. And the reason it's not is because it's really, 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 really complicated. Um, and it's gonna take a lot of people to pull something like that off. And it's probably not going to look the way you think it's going to look when we finally get there. And all of that is okay, but, it is a lot um, 
I've been thinking since we did that leaving massage duel episode to set seasons ago about what Ruth Werner said that people when they leave massage they just leave completely and we lose all of their talents and we lose all of their knowledge and we lose all of their abilities because they think if they can't work with clients anymore then they have nothing to offer and that that's really really not true and we really need all of you so if you're winding down in your practice or maybe um peopling just isn't for you anymore which i totally understand don't just walk away try and think about what else you have to offer us because we really do need you um the other thing i wanted to say was this conference that we're planning in february part of the reason that I wanted to do it was to help the clinician side and the research side get closer together. I think we offer a very simplified idea about research in massage school and in our massage CEs. And it's a very um, shiny <laughs> rose colored glass, sort of pretty neat, um, almost adorable picture of what research is and it's not it's messy and <laughs> complicated and confusing and then you might have noticed it involves about 4500 people in order to do one study to make it work and to make it worth doing even so getting a large sample size where do you get it from who is it how did you get it what are you doing with them and then all the people who need to write it and all the people who just need to keep track of data and all the people who are going out and asking for funding, which is a job all on its own. Um, it's a lot of people and it's a lot of mess and it's worth it because it's the only way we're gonna reach that massage covered by insurance place. Um, so I just wanted to give people a more sort of realistic um, glimpse of the ball of yarn that is the messed up ball of yarn, the attacked by 12 cats ball of yarn. <laughs> that is. What I, well, I, I wanna just say too, that I love that piece is that, you know, we need you and it's not just us that needs folks it's also right. you know, the, the field it's also society the patients the systems yes so acceptability takes a long time a paradigm shift takes a long time um and there's a lot of under pieces that aren't even seen and i was i was having a conversation with somebody the other day that is at, that is at this place of getting ready to lean out right and just it's it's time to step away or what have you and i i really encourage them to you know think about how this opportunity of of absolutely transition in one's life and professional career and the like and the like everybody deserves and wants that you know respite peace but that it might be a really great opportunity to lean in to some of the more controversial places that those who are still in a career building place aren't necessarily able to spearhead, but that those who are in a place of potentially moving out, that they, they have a lot more um, freedom to be able to either say or negotiate or spearhead um, some of the challenging, hard conversations. And I want to point to, um, I don't know, this might get cut, may need to be cut. <clears throat> One of the things that I found the other day was um, this really lovely piece in the Chronicle of Higher Education that recognized somebody that I actually don't, don't know. Um, his name is Eric Dalton, but I understand that he's, that he does a lot of work 
but he's actually done a bit of an endowment to um, Indiana State University and their massage program to help with massage educational pieces. Now, I think that's massage, like foundational massage training, but it's that sort of notion of how, what are ways that those who are leaders and established and who have, you know, perhaps it's not dollars or what have you, but what other sort of capital might they have that could be reinvested to the, to the betterment of either future professionals or the delivery of this field that is so important, right? Because there's so many opportunities for, for this field to be delivered in other capacities. And it's different. It just is different. And so any sorts of those social capital and, and resources that can be reinvested in as folks are, you know, perhaps not, not stepping away from, but leaning into some of these opportunities for the betterment of society in the field. I would, I would love that too. Thank you for saying that, Corey. That's what lovely. You betcha. I can't, I can't help but be distracted by Cal's. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I think it's, it's lunchtime. Cal distracting. I'm, I'm being yeah. mauled by the cats. Yes, you are. Yes. That nobody else can see. So I had to do radio commentary. I appreciate that. Nice yeah. work. Nice work. Orange tabby. Yes. That's right. All those so, old skills. Yeah. That's right. She's Bring the executive out. tiger at Healwell. <laughs> Were there other pieces that you had for me, Corey? I, that was all of my questions, Cal. Do you have other? Oh, I have I mean, so I many questions, do. but I know that we all have other jobs and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to keep asking the questions and keep, you know, doing the things. So I, I feel like this is a good, a good place to wrap. And well, I'm uh, excited for the within reach piece that we're doing and going to be awesome. And that, I mean, I just get a little bitty part of that, but I've been really enjoying working with Corey as that's being put together and designed. And um, as, as we're putting our, history of massage research together. I know that sounds maybe dry, but I think as we keep talking about it, it's getting more exciting and fun. I think, it'd be, I think it'll be really enjoyable. And then that one won't just be our lovely voices. It will be all of our lovely beings as well. Indeed. Right? indeed. And a slideshow. And a slideshow. Visual aids. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you're both out there um, doing the things and uh, and that Corey is getting more and more out there and doing the things. And uh, I look forward to doing more of the things with both of you that will give us all more opportunities. And just, uh, I hate that phrase, elevate the profession, but, you know, like give us stuff to do that really serves the people. Like you said, Nikki, I mean, that's, that's the thing is how do we get more skilled hands to the people who need them? Yeah. Yep. Well, and you know, I, I, We'll come up with another way to say that. Let's, yeah. Let's give that, let's make that a task for us to unveil at Within Reach. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Challenge you heard it accepted. here first, folks. That's right. There we go. Come and see how we're going to talk about it next time. Woohoo! Thank you, everyone, for joining us in this episode of Interdisciplinary. We hope you learned all kinds of things. Perhaps you should listen to this one twice. I'm sure you will absorb twice as much. I certainly will. Remember that this episode, as all the episodes of Interdisciplinary this season, are uh, have CEUs available to you from the Continuing Education Institute of Illinois. You can find out more about that in the show notes. 
And we want to hear your feedback. So email us at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear about for next time. Thank you for listening. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.